DJ and PK, we're joined now by Craig Bolerjack on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought currently. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Bowler, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. I like the song coming in. What is that, uh, PK? You can check out, but you, but you can never leave. Oh yeah, yeah that 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 just describes jazz fandom to a T. They want to check out after disappointing losses, but they always are in. And yeah, passion is always you can't you can't you, you can say you did or you will or whatnot, but nah. no, I don't buy it. Nope, nope, maybe, nope. Maybe for a time or two, but when it really matters, you're right there. Yeah, maybe take a trip to the back porch and come back in. So, yeah. So you got a little distance, a little removal from the uh, from the playoffs here, and not to just completely rehash the playoffs, but they inform the offseason moves, where the team has to go from here. If you had to prioritize one, two, or three things to do with the roster, what would you do? Oh, uh, boy, that's, those are all great questions, and they're all going to be answered soon. Uh, the first you know, summer of, of Ryan Smith, and Justin Zanuck making some big decisions with, I'm sure, some help from Dwayne Wade. But, you know, I, I think, again, you, you always start a team with uh, who's going to run the show. And so, you know, you had, do have to make a decision on what direction you want to pursue Mike Conley. And all indications, again, report the, the Jazz will pursue Mike. Um, and I don't know at what cost. And I'm not sure where, uh, you know, Ryan – and the, the the ownership group wants to go with luxury tax. But, look, there's going to be some suitors uh, for Mike Conley. But, you know, I think Mike knows what the Jazz are, what direction they want to go, and also his relationship uh, with Donovan and the team. So I would think that's one plus for Utah. But, you know, again, you have to put it on paper. You have to be concerned of a couple of things. One is age, and, of course, the other is injury. And you have to look at, uh, you know, I guess the analytics of it all, but still the gut feeling you have to have is what can Mike give you if it's a two-year deal, a one-year? I'm not sure he's going to sign for anything less than two. Maybe he wants two, you know, and then his option. Uh, I, I don't know. But it's it's going to cost money. and But also you have to weigh the odds of, of health and how many games can you truly, truly get out of Mike Conley. And then saying that, guys, I would think you'd have to have another plan of action on who are you grooming to, to be in that position in the next two years or so and a legitimate backup point guard um, if you're going to keep the rotations the same as Mike is the one and Donovan is the two. But those are interchangeable. We all get that. Basketball's changed a lot in the sense of the numbers game. Rudy is a true five, obviously, but you know, most of the time coaches that I run across don't even like to put a number on a player. They just play ball. So I would think that's one, probably upping their defensive abilities on the wings with a bigger athletic player. Uh, look, Royce played his, you know, tail off at 6'4 against some of the greatest players in the league. Uh, and again, I think that's still an, an issue the Jazz need to have is more of a, uh, of a defender who can run and flow. Uh, when the Jazz uh, knee transition defense. And those are my top two. I mean, the, the shooting, uh, the Jazz have, you know, a corral of three-point shooters. Do they try to up the, 
the ante and their bench, what team doesn't. So those would be the top three uh, that I think the Jazz are looking at. And I'm not sure about trades. Look, they may go into you know into the free agent market if they can't find that. How aggressive are they in the trade market? Those are questions I can't answer because again, I'm I'm anxious just to see who Ryan Smith is when it comes to aggressive off-season moves. And this is his first summer, and we're gonna we're gonna find out. So I think certainly they should make uh, Conley a priority. I actually think that uh, length of a contract might be more important than money, but it's not my money, so it's easy to say that. And you don't want to be saddled where you're looking at a situation where you're just waiting for the deal to run out. They've had a couple of those over the years, and teams that have that, it, by definition, it doesn't end well. So I'm very con- not concerned, but I'm uh, curious maybe, I guess, or wonder how long the deal is going to be. And we had Locke on last week, as we do, and he was talking about the idea, he broached the subject of potentially trading Joe Ingles, not because of Joe's any lack of ability, but because, you know, to, to get something, you got to give up something. But in my mind, if they want to bring Conley back, which I think they do, and, and I certainly would love to see it, then I actually think that that pretty much guarantees that you've got to have Joe on the team because yeah. you have to have somebody who's ready to step in because obviously Conley's not going 82. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, the, the Joe Ingles discussion, you know, and David's right. Every every team, if you want to, uh, you know, improve, you have to give up assets to gain them. I mean, that's just that's just the simple way of of, of doing business. And you know what? If Mike's not if his, you know, the other one too, PK and DJ. The other part of this discussion is Mike has a decision that he can make. Yeah, he can be flattered by the pursuit of the Jazz, but he may have other suitors. He may have other goals. Uh, he may get a sweeter contract, right? So is that a situation where you can sign and trade him so you do get something back in return, unlike what happened with the Hayward situation of a, of a few years ago where you lost an all-star and got nothing in return when he signed uh, with Boston. So, yeah, all those things come into play. And uh, you make a great point about Joe. I mean – Man, I tell you, that will be a tough day when Joe Ingles uh, retires or if he is, if he moves on. Because again, seven years of Joe Ingles, as we got, as we all know, fun to cover. Uh, always has something up his sleeve to discuss, but also, you know, plays his heart out. And he's a, he, he can play multiple positions. I mean, he's another coach on the floor and well trusted by Quinn Snyder. But your point is well taken. Teams do have to give up assets to to improve or gain the elements or the uh, or the player they need to fill gaps. So again, interesting to see what direction they go. So I'm curious, just in your interactions with small conversations, not only with the two people I'm about to ask you about, but other people around them, if you have a sense of how the organizations. Uh, philosophy may have changed with uh, Dennis Lindsay no longer the primary decision maker and Justin Zanuck is. Now, they work together, so I assume there's a lot of similarities, but there's always differences. What might those be? Sure, sure. Well, I think Dennis, again, is the analytic guy. Uh, He builds teams and and hired Quinn to coach him. And, and, And again, he put together a hell of a team. There's no question. I think probably this transition steps outside the box a little bit where Z or Justin Zanuck is Z as we call him 
Um, he, he's a guy that has uh, relationships with, I think, with agents that are stronger in that regard um, and also probably communicating those desires with players. And so I think that probably bodes well that, that you know, an agent, a former agent, understands that part of the business and I believe that would be a big uh, a big plus when you're dealing with contracts and relationships. Uh, not saying Dennis didn't, but I think that that's a strong suit uh, for Justin. So those those are things again that will play out as well: uh, communication, uh, relationships, and the fact that it's a tight group that they know one another, and there's a trust factor there, and they can they can communicate what their needs are. And, and saying what, you know, playing time, minutes, and those type of issues that come up in the discussions when you're pursuing maybe a free agent. You know, what, what's this guy going to be able to do? What do you want him for? And what's your goals ahead? Uh, I think Ryan, honestly, getting back to this, uh, the Ryan Smith's first year of ownership, he made it very clear he wanted to be a title, uh, bring a title to Utah, want to be a champion. You know, it takes money to do that, right? Uh, and to push yourself to the next level usually puts you over the tax, over the cap. So, again, you know, how aggressive will he be and what kind of influence uh, or impact as a consultant would Dwayne Wade be? You know, again, I don't know. And I think, again, those are things uh, that we will find out as the summer continues on how aggressive this ownership will be. How much do you get the sense that they want to run it back because they were close and had some things go against themselves, but they can get better? And they're not going to return everybody, but I'm talking about the nucleus yeah. and not really make a bunch of what I would consider, even if it's just one, radical change. You know, PK, I think your first question about Mike tells us maybe the answer to that is that they're pursuing him, so maybe not more or less trying to do, well, an overhaul. That's kind of strange to say. When you win 52 uh, games and you're the you know the, the top team in the NBA by by record, so you know pursuing Mike may tell us that they do want to give it another run. Uh, and maybe again, look, they're going to make some tweaks. I mean, that's just the way this game is played. You have to on a yearly basis. It's rare that you would just stay you know stay pat with what you have. But pursuing Mike Conley kind of indicates that they still have. Um, confidence and hope that this team, the core of it, can still be a high-level competitor in the West and beyond, if you stay healthy. I mean, I've talked to so many fans over the last two weeks of we could have won it. We could be right now playing. Well, you know, look, uh, you you can play the what-if game, you know, all summer long if you like, but we'll never know. And I would personally, I would love to have seen a healthy backcourt of Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley right throughout the entire uh, playoffs, but it didn't happen that way. And Donovan, by the way, I, you could tell he wasn't a hundred percent trying to play in the second round against the Clippers, but they, but you did see what the jazz were weekend. That was, you know, a small ball, you know, Rudy being trapped at the rim and then trying to jump out. And Terrence Mann goes, what, 39 on his 15 minutes of fame, and I think he's averaging seven points during uh, during his, his run with the Clippers in the playoffs. So there are just nights that you, you've been weakened, and I think against the Clippers, that matchup 
maybe showed the Jazz some direction they also need to think of. Um, maybe more athletic um, and also the six seven type defender that can go out and really uh, jump on a guy and uh, make life difficult. You know, again, I applaud Royce, but he's 6'4", and he does a great job. But at times he needs help in the way they, that these switching defenses and, and, and the different looks you need to give, you know, offenses come into play here in, that, in this discussion. But, you know, rounding the turn and coming back to your question, PK, I, I think, again, there's tweaks needed, and that's what they'll do. But pursuing Mike, I think, is, is kind of the first um, indicator that the Jazz like what they have most most of the pieces and if they get Mike back you know here we go we know the Conley Donovan Mitchell backcourt uh and if Joe stays you know what you get off the bench maybe you know they still feed him in and as a starter on occasion he usually plays with those two guys as well um so we may still see a lot of of what we saw this year and what produced 52 wins uh during the regular season and I want all those things, and I want to tweak all those things, and I find all those things interesting, but I just think the best thing that Jazz have going for them is how, um, I don't know what the right word is, mad, angry, frustrated, some combination of all those things Donovan Mitchell was after the loss. Because watching him go for 39 points in a game where I thought he can't drive, he can't jump and land on that, he can't finish, he has to be a jump shooter. He's got to be. And they should have known that. And he still had 39-9-9. and And PK's talked about his clutchiness. And it seems stupid to sit here and say, this guy's just going to routinely go for 40 or 50. Yeah, yeah. But I don't want to sit here and say he's not going to go for 40 and 50. And, and the matter and the anger and the more frustrated he is, man, bottle that up for next year. That, that could be the best thing the Jazz have going for him. Yeah, and you know what? Let's talk about that for a minute because, again, there's always been those little, you know, whispers of is he not happy. I mean, he's going to start a a max contract um, next year. I mean, just in three months we're playing again, by the way. I mean, it's just bizarre, you know, that October will be here before you know it. Um, but, you know, one of the things that Jazz have to do and teams have to always take this into consideration with their superstars is making them happy and showing progress. And so that's another concern of what does Donovan think of what direction the Jazz are going to. Um, a lot of times we used to say, hey, you know, players don't dictate, you know, movement. They shouldn't, but they do. I mean, PK, I think you'll agree, right, DJ, too? I mean, you know, Donovan's going to have a voice in, in a lot of the, the decisions that the Jazz will make going forward. They have to to keep him here. Uh, you know, he's one of the most impactful players since the Carl and John days, in my opinion. I mean, you know, D. Will and Boozer had moments, but this guy right here is, is, um, is the franchise, uh, and you've got to make sure that he is, uh, I guess, involved in, in the moves you're making going forward. And I'm, I'm sure he will. I'd be surprised if he, he doesn't have a big voice of what, what direction the Jazz goes. So that's another part of the equation, too, uh, is, is, is Mike Conley at the point, Donovan Mitchell being happy, and probably trying to, again, try to find some defensive players that can run up and down the floor on this three. The Jazz got burned multiple times in transition. Uh, if you shoot the three, you've got to get back. If you, don't make, if you make him, you look great. I mean, you're, you're going to win every game you play. Uh, the nights that you don't hit the three, 
uh, they take a wicked bounce and teams are off and running and you have a, po- a four-point swing. And as we found out multiple times in, in the league this year, not only for the Jazz, but no, no lead is safe. No lead is safe. 25 points, 27, I mean, third, 29. I mean, you know, putting a number you want there, and there's always a chance that teams play themselves back in. And the Jazz got slapped in the face a couple of times this year, um, especially that one game against the Clippers where, what was it, 25? And um, they couldn't hang on, despite the fact, DJ, as you just said, Donovan dropping 39. All right, Bowler, we will uh, stay in touch with you during the offseason and see where this goes. If they run it back, as PK says, or if they're small changes or if they're big changes, uh, stay in touch. We'll talk to you. Yeah, guys, uh, we'll see you soon. Draft night around the corner and uh, game two tonight. i got to ask you before I go, you picking the Suns or uh, you know, injuries hit the Bucks with Giannis? I know you got to go, but I'm just curious what you guys think. Suns all the way. Get the Bucks out of here. Yeah, I can't argue that for what I saw from Chris Paul. See, that's the other key as I go. He stayed healthy. Yeah, he did. I didn't, ex- I didn't expect that at all because of his history in, in postseason play. I just didn't think, you know, Booker and, and Chris Paul, they stayed healthy and look who's standing. So. We are. I don't give a buck about Milwaukee. <laughs> Love it, PK. <laughs> Playing with fire. Hotel Every morning. California. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. You can check out, baby, but you can never leave. Oh, PK and DJ. yeah, thank you, that. man. I've driven yeah. many nights on a dark desert highway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, see you soon. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You get to the show late? You miss Mark Harlan. You miss the University of Utah Athletic Director on name, image, and likeness. You miss out on the Director's Cup and the depth of BYU's athletic department and the people who've got money they're competing with. We will get to all of that next. Stay with us. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30. Presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON. On your home of the the best college football coverage in Utah. 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Chris Paul's been, he's been a bucket, man. I mean, he, he obviously, you know, he, he gets his team involved. He is the greatest leader, you know, to play this game, but he's been a bucket for a very long time. Game two tonight, Suns and Bucks. That is Devin Booker. I respect what Devin Booker's saying. I mean, I like like for you, as far as being a leader. Uh, I mean, it rhymes with bucket. That might be too much for some people to <laughs> pull apart. It's tough for a minute. There, we're gonna have a spit take. No, I mean, no. you know, I mean, yuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yuck it. Two more options, and Scotty would prefer I don't see either one of them on the air. Oh, I appreciate when you tuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Suns 2-0 tonight, or oh, I think the Bucks figure out how to defend him. Don't give up 118 points. That's a losing number. It's just, to me, shooting is fickle to an extent. So uh, I don't expect Booker to go 4 for 17, 
Nor do I expect Chris Paul. I mean, he had some bad shooting nights, but I think a lot of that was from his health situation with his shoulder, and that seems to be in a better spot. Uh, so I would think Suns, but at the same time, I'm expecting six or seven, so obviously Milwaukee's got to win sometime. Uh, if the Suns go up 2-0, then they're absolutely in the driver's seat. If they if Milwaukee wins tonight 1-1, then I think it not just even, because literally it is, but... I do think that it could go either way. I, I don't think Milwaukee winning in Phoenix is a huge deal because we're talking about home court the other day, and I said I like it if you can close out a series in five at home or seven. And there's one other thing I forgot to add that I want to add right now. I think one of the bigger underrated aspects of home court is if you lose one, you only got to win one. So if you lose one at home, you only got to win one on the road. Winning two seems sometimes, like a bigger deal. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Clippers; they only won one in Utah, and they got it. So yep. winning two might have—I I really believe in my heart. Maybe it's my fandom and my want to be that the Jazz would have won Game Seven if they would have held on to Game Six. We'll never know because I think winning two on the road can be difficult. Well, if you want to play woulda, coulda, shoulda, we should have played this with Bowler in the last segment. If Paul George doesn't, with the game decided, run over to Donovan Mitchell and bang into him and Donovan falls to the ground in obvious pain, the Jazz didn't win again after that collision. If you could wipe out that one moment, do you think the Jazz would have won the series? Uh, Yeah, but at the same time, Joe Ingles hit Kawhi and they found a way to win. Yeah. Without recognizable one of the best two or three players in the league. Uh, so you can play that game back and forth. I mean, that that's like officiating. Uh, what if this? What if that? I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I do like their chances in, in that situation. But I think that's what home court, to me, and one of the things that, that plays to your advantage is you lose at home, which a lot of times happens because these teams are good. Then you only have to win once on the other guy's floor to get it back. Winning twice is hard. Much harder, obviously, as opposed to winning at one. But it's a big game. I mean, Phoenix obviously wants to go. I don't think they necessarily need to go up two, but obviously they want to because I think they can win in Milwaukee. I think they can win one game in Milwaukee because if you can't, you probably don't deserve to win a title. Well, the Clippers have a weird playoff history. They lost to the Jazz three times at home in a series, and the Jazz won in seven with the Joe Johnson, Gordon Hayward, George Hill team. And then the Clippers and the Mavericks had six straight road wins. So you never know. There's the outliers. But on the whole, you're right. I'd rather have the home court because it is hard for a team to win twice. Although there's certainly examples of it happening, including that Maverick Clipper series this year. Yeah, that was so freaky. That was. I wouldn't bank on that. It's the only time it's happened. I mean, they were saying when it was happening, this is the first time that the road team has won six straight games in a series. Yeah, right. And there's something to be said for that. So I'm expecting the Suns to win, but I'm expecting Milwaukee to be more competitive about it. And Budenholzer did speak on the free throw disparity because it was great. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked him right off the bat, and he, and he laughed, and he said, you're trying to get me fined. Well, no, the the media person is not trying to get you fined. He or she's asking a legitimate question. Yeah, and I think that he knows that. Right. I think that's the kind of thing that they say 
so that when the league comes out and we're like, can't find me. You can't find me. I answered me. a question. I answered a question, and I realized I'm not trying to make you look bad. I acknowledge that. And he said that it was frustrating. He didn't say, my gosh, we looked at the tape. Those guys were idiots. Right. They deserved to be fired. Yeah. Would have been cool if he said that. But, uh, <laughs> he didn't. No, he doesn't have the stature. He can't say that. Phil Jackson could get out there and say all Phil kinds of things. Phil could say all kinds of things. That's a now reason Popovich why, Kerr and Kerr. And why yeah. they can go so political. And get away with it, because they've won. And uh, Budenholzer doesn't have that. It seemed like he was on thin He's ice He's going to take heat right up until the minute they lift the trophy, if they lift the trophy. Which seems a little outrageous. It does. Because I look at either of these teams, man, and one team's going to win, and, and they're going to be the champion for this year, and that's great. But they're not going to go down as one of the all-time great teams by any stretch. But that doesn't matter. You win, you win. And I, and I like what Booker said about Chris Paul being the best leader of all time. From Booker's perspective, why wouldn't he say that? Yeah, from his perspective. Well, that's all but he's you got. Having watched, you having watched basketball, you have a different perspective. And in another situation, when you were trying to argue with me and do radio, you would tell me that Magic Johnson was an awesome leader he knew how to lead worthy he knew how to lead kareem he knew how to sm- uh massage egos absolutely but that's a big part of leadership it is that's a huge part and and he had a really he had a lot of difficult things to deal with and he did it under multiple coaches well and the best thing about it is he managed his own ego that too he wasn't looking to sure. score a ton and whatever it took if it took the baby hook in Boston, so be it. Yep. it but it, it, whatever it took, if it took making a bounce pass or just getting the, feeding the ball to the post, whatever whatever it might be, he did. So, yeah, he was great. But Chris Paul, as I said earlier, I don't think anybody's done anything like this. Taking over a team that had been not in the playoffs in 10, 11 years and get to the finals? I don't care if every team lost every star going. They did something remarkable. And he was the most significant difference from the prior year. Now, they did go 8-0 in the bubble, if that floats your boat at all. So they... They were on their way. They came together to... They were going to be better with Rubio or Paul. It didn't matter. They were going to be better this year. Uh, But it seems like, and what we hear is that he brought out the best to date of Aiton. And Aiton has said that. That Chris Paul's you been can't huge. argue it. Chris Paul's been huge for him. Yeah. Uh, we also talked Shohei Otani because he is just off the charts. Yak, you got that home run call because that home run, he hits his 30-second homer. He's fouled a ball off his foot, a ball off his knee. Then he hits his 30-second homer, and he is just blowing everyone's minds in the Angel organization. The next 2-2 home. You foul it off your front foot, you foul it off your back knee, and what do you do? You say, you'll have to take that little casual jog, and he rockets that one out. He's on pace for 60 home runs. I don't think he gets it. <laughs> but I like, I think that's Mark Gubza who does the uh, commentary there, the former, uh, I know he pitched for the Royals. But if you go his little thing, he was doing a little hokey pokey there. He took it off his right knee, he took it off, and I started to think he was doing the hokey pokey. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little, awesome. A little high pitched laugh there. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we talked uh, name, image, and likeness with Mark Harlan. A little structure, a little support. 
Make sure you don't mess up the Pell Grant. Kind of first cousin to Tom Homo saying, okay, here's how you do taxes because you could have income coming in your way. Here's what you got to know. There's all kinds of if you're uh, getting that, yeah. ramifications, all kinds know. of things to, to follow up on. Don't know who's getting it. But you of you guys are going to have stuff. I mean, I would think the cars would be involved. I mean, they're, they're sure. sponsoring the south end zone there. That I really believe at that point, when that thing is done and we're we're approaching the finish of it, I believe the U of U. They got it all. I, I think they do, man. They got the indoor facility. They got the outdoor practice field. They've got the uh, football center with all the weights and the cafeteria and the training and the medicine space and the meeting space and all Accommodations, of that. Accommodations. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. And now the stadium, the last part of the stadium that wasn't up to grade. No, it wasn't even close. It wasn't. And now it is. No, it and would, would and more premium seating, more revenue to help, well, I guess first retire that debt, but then power the department forward. It's all there. They can really set themselves up to be competitive in football, which is the number one goal of every athletic department. Uh, as long as you have a team for Gonzaga, it's different, obviously. But for these guys here, uh, they can really, really make a name for themselves. And I don't know how many divisions or conference titles they're going to win, uh, but th- that I, me personally. Unless for the extreme few, and I guess SC would be in one of those categories, I do not judge conference title as the measurement of success. You want to get them, obviously. But if you roll out, you know, four, five, ten, and three seasons, I'm having a hard time saying, man, that wasn't successful. Well, the thing they've got that really only Oregon has, that game day environment, the crazy fan base, and look at this. Two teams that are pretty good that don't have an NFL team right down the street. I think, I, I, I think more than those two have it. Having been in all the Pac-12 cities, uh, you can say it's great, greater, but I think they all have it if you win. SC, they can have it. They can. Washington can have it. ASU can have it. They have had it. Those schools the, the have ASU, had it. Uh, but we've all seen ASU games at night, and it looks like there's 50,000 there, and the students are all wearing the school colors, and they're all on their feet screaming. The gold, yeah. yeah. And the community, they got a lot of uh, eating establishments but, right there. But all those schools also have to battle with NFL teams down the street, and Utah and Oregon don't. They don't, and that's a distinct advantage. Yes. I mean, Oregon State doesn't either. Washington State doesn't, so there's, there's yeah. teams in there. The Bay Area gets buried by it. I think of all the places, the Bay Area is the worst. Yes. More pro, less college. Yeah. The tilt. The Bay, having been in all these communities many times over for work purposes, uh, on game days I'm speaking of, we've all been to the communities or most of us have been in the communities maybe, uh, but the Bay Area reminds me the most of when I was a kid growing up in the New York suburbs. Because there it was 98% pro. The Niners are huge. The Giants are huge. The Warriors, who were a pretty big deal even they were bad, now are just off the charts. So much interest, so much passion, so much money. Right. And Cal's a nice environment, but they don't win. And Stanford, the student body is small, and they come from all over the place, and they return to all over the place. Well, they're studying 
No, and they're studying while they're there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not, it's not set up. I mean, they downsized their stadium, and now you wonder if they should have downsized it more. And they've been better with 40 than 50. So here, none of that stuff applies. Nope. This place is electric for college football. And U of U, they, I mean, they really can set themselves up to be competitive, to be top two or three com- most competitive in the conference, I believe. All right, that's a lot of what we have been talking about during this show. You can hear the entire show at 1280thezone.com. Yacht's got, Yacht's got it all posted there. And wherever you get your podcasts. Amazon, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Time for your feedback now, all the stuff you've had to say about today's show. We talked about the Director's Cup and BYU, 17th out of nearly 300 D1 schools. And they're all Power 5 schools. BYU's four or five spots behind Notre Dame. These schools have the biggest brands, the biggest reps, the best TV contracts, the most money. And BYU's right in the middle of it. And the Director's Cup, they assign points to every sport and how you finish in the NCAA tournaments. In the case of football, how you finish ranked. And they add it up, and it measures the depth and success across the whole breadth of an athletic department. And a lot of people roll their eyes because they're not following cross-country, and they're not following tennis and golf and volleyball and swimming and whatever else. But those people are still working hard. Those coaches recruit hard, and those coaches stress about winning and losing. And those athletes run and lift weights and train. They want to win. They want to go to the Olympics or turn pro in their sport or just be the best they can be. So how impressed are you that BYU finished 17th out of nearly 300? And Michael, what's the director's cup? Don't know if he's trying to be funny or if he legit doesn't know. But it's a competition that's been out there for, I don't even know how many decades. You traced it back to the 90s just because Stanford has won it so many times in a row. But it probably goes back further than that. First time, not since 93, they haven't won it. Uh, You know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not looking at that specifically. I'm looking at what you have been able to accomplish as an athletic department, and you're not a P5. You don't have the $30 million rolling in or $50 million, whatever it might be, for television, and you still manage to have a comprehensive, excellent (laughs) athletic program. I think there's something to be said for that. Whether I care about women's gymnastics, no, I don't. But it doesn't matter whether I care about it. What matters is they've got a comprehensive quality athletic program. That's what matters. Here's Marv Albert's all-time NBA team. Kareem at center, LeBron and Bird at forward, Magic and MJ, well, they're both MJ, Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan are the guards. One's Irvin, though. Any varying opinions? And Ben McKee gave it a yes! Agreeing with Marv Albert with a Marv call. Well, okay. There's got to be some beefs at center because some people line up behind (laughs) Shaq and some behind Wilt and Bill Russell's won 11 titles. Kenneth Wilkes said John Stockton, one word, assists. End of story. He goes, Tony Soprano, end of story. End of story. So how about that one? I wouldn't change it. You can if you want. What's the guy's name? Kenneth, don't call me Keith Wilkes without the E. 
Well, Kenny can change it if he wants. Oh, you drop down a little like nickname almost, Kenny. Ken, Kenny, Kenneth, <laughs> the Kenster, Kenorama. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday Night Live, yeah, right. the copy machine the copy. here. <laughs> the I'm sitting here. Okay, the I'm Kenster, Kenorama. Oh, brother. Some people around here, especially around here, uh, think that Stockton should be on that list because the goal of the point guard is to set up your team, and he has the most. He set his teammates up the most. No one has set up his teammates literally more than him. So... There's something to be. There's a lot to be said for that. Now I say, for years I kept hearing, "Oh, Stockton's the best pure point guard," which is a way to delegitimize Magic. Well, what you need to do is of the strictly point guards category, he's the best because Magic did play other positions. There's no doubt about it. I mean, well, he certainly defended other positions. He didn't defend point guards. Get get, get Byron Scott over there to defend the point guard. Magic takes somebody a little bigger who isn't quite as quick. Yeah, didn't see Magic trying to lock up a bunch of six footers. No, that was not. But a the offensive end, he did it all. They put the ball in his hands, and he just did it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't think is a knock against him, but I think you had to say the strictly point guards is John Stockton the best. Most folks around here would say yes. I say no, but if you put me back on TV and I get my job back, I'll say yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know what you have to do. Uh, that horse has left the barn. All right, DJ and PK, that's the show for this morning. And when we come back, we won't be here. Hans and Scotty will be. They're taking over at 10 o'clock right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.